0: I'm talking too loud. We're going to need a safe word.
1: <laughs> you sound good. You sound good right now. What's the safe okay. word,
0: though? I don't know. Estes Um Sorry, that was a Mad About You joke for, like, if you're recording that for, like, the five people in the audience who remember Mad About You. Um,
1: I am recording it. but more, Surely more people, everyone that listens to us is probably, except for Crackles, probably knows Mad About You. Yeah, I think they know it, but I would,
0: it, there's more to just – hey, I remember there was a show that had Paul Reiser on it. True. I, 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 the Estes Kefauver joke, I don't think many people remember. No, that's a pretty deep – Yeah, that, that's a deep cut right deep there. Cut. Yeah, that's like most people's Seinfeld
1: jokes. Yeah, I hate those because I've never – I mean I've watched episodes of Seinfeld, but I didn't watch it, so.
0: Yeah, like – it was okay, I guess. Like, I don't hate it, but I, I certainly didn't love it as much as the rest of the world did, apparently. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, but with uh, that long introduction that was rambling and all over the place, and we have no plan, Hi, I'm Poser. That's Dan, and he just moved to L.A. And this is the Sneaky Good Podcast. I even paused for guitar riff. Do you like that? So we can have some post-production in there. This is a high-class operation. We haven't done this in like two months. Yeah, this is bad.
1: It's mostly my fault, if not entirely my fault. I know I canceled on it once, so it's not entirely your fault. Okay, Just mostly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you, you already addressed it, and I think we've talked about it a little bit before, but I was going through a bit of a life change, moving my entire life to the West Coast. So it's kind of been a hectic couple months.
0: You know, I'm, I'm, I think that's really cool. I think the guts to just pick up and move across country is – it takes a lot. Most people stay where they are. The only time they ever move is like when they go to college. yeah. And so for in the middle of your life, for you and your wife who've settled down, you had roots in Chicago, just to say, you know what, we're moving to L.A., let's do it. That is that's really
1: gutsy and really cool. Well, thanks. Uh, now, I, now I feel very brave. Yeah, see? There you go. <laughs> no, it's exciting. It's just a different lifestyle. Plus, uh, this is no longer late night for me. Like, It's 10 for you, but it's 8, eight o'clock here.
0: Yeah, I know. This is going to be weird for our... yeah working out the same time, because for me it's get the kids to bed, but not so late that I'm not ready to fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, kids take a lot of energy. They they move a lot, those little bastards. That's
1: what I hear. <laughs>
0: yeah, they require, like, attention and love, whatever.
1: <laughs> you were doing a lot of kids' stuff this week. You are at a recital and a... Yeah. Oh,
0: God, yeah. Uh, yesterday... Was, uh, well, today was my oh The Little Posette, it was her last day of school So yesterday They had a program at the school Over lunch All the uh, graduating Preschoolers who were moving on to Kindergarten uh, Had a, uh, a Song, a sing-song thing They invited us all over there and they sang us like 15 or 20 kids songs and it was Adorable um, So I had to take my lunch break from work, you know, I left and I went to the school, and it was really cute, and I was really happy I did it. So I'm not complaining about that. But then afterwards, um, after work, my wife, who is a band director, um, it was her spring concert and awards. So then I had to drive to South Dallas, which, let me tell you, is a lovely neighborhood. <laughs> uh, and um, so I had to watch. Like once you get to the end of it, it's pretty good because once you get to the eighth graders, they can kind of play. But a beginning band concert
1: is a living –
0: it's a living – yeah, it's a living hell – particularly if you don't have a kid in there. <laughs> Cause I mean, if you have your kid, you could be like, Oh my God, he's playing the oboe. But when <laughs> there's none of that, I'm just sitting there going, Oh God, <laughs> this is awful. And then they had to stop and hand out the awards. Cause they did all the section awards. Cause it was just the parents of the band kids. So they're like, so the best flute is this. And the, you know, the best oh trumpet gosh. player. And, oh my God. It was interminable. I just, yeah. It, so it was pretty awful. So afterwards I drank a lot. That's really my solution to everything
1: that's good I tried to give you a soundtrack there apparently Uh, there we go but yeah so we're now kind of
0: in the LSU dead period I would guess we're you know except for postseason for the
1: stick and ball sports yeah so this podcast will just now be you and I talking about our personal lives
0: yeah pretty much well let's at least lay down a little bit of LSU stuff well you know um, the softball team had a great weekend they did Um, University of Louisiana Lafayette has been a thorn in the side of LSU softball I guess is the best way to say it Um, we had never beaten them in the new park and that's just embarrassing and it was a tough draw for LSU but it was the draw they earned you know they weren't it's not like LSU had a great year so being seeded was about as good as we expect and it kind of looked like that was the way it was going to go. Uh, Lafayette won that first game, and things were bad. And then the rain delay, kind of in a weird way, washed away everything bad. And, it, like, the, the descent, you know, we rose out of the pool of blood, reborn, and we slaughtered all the monsters. Pay no attention to the actual end of the descent where it's all in her head. Just forget about that. But uh, <laughs> So it was really... A great rally and so a season that had looked pretty dismal the last two weeks they had a big run through the SEC tournament and now they won the Baton Rouge Regional it's all of a sudden turned into a great year I like your
1: movie reference
0: yeah did you like that I I like to throw in my obscure movie references if you haven't seen the descent you totally should Um, I But no, it's weird because the, the stick and ball sports, no one really cares what you do over the regular season. It's all about postseason. Yeah, it's very true. And I know that complaint is normally lodged at basketball, but it's the same for softball and baseball. Because if the postseason, if we cared about the regular season, no one would complain about complain about Paul Maneri.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was still a lot of bitching about him this year, though.
0: Yeah, well, because we're normally great in the regular season. He struggles in the regular season, and all of a sudden people care. Yeah, so, that's a good point. I mean, it's one of those things. Once you don't like a guy, you're just going to take any data point to bash him.
1: Yeah, that would be the Les Miles syndrome of sorts. And
0: look, I'm not going to say I haven't taken shots at Maneria. I have. Um, I, yeah. think his, I think his bullpen usage is... Pretty questionable at best. Um, I really don't like how he does lineups. I think he kind of gets his guys and then he's locked in and it takes something extraordinary for him to tinker late in the year, uh, I, which basically leads to a bench that's kind of atrophied by postseason time. So, But those are criticisms. I still think he's a really good coach. I mean, LSU wins a lot of SEC titles. They win regular season titles we win the SEC tournament a lot we're always in contention for Omaha I I, the stuff you complain about is on the margins because the program is so good
1: yeah we've talked about that before it's like if you start going through the list of who you're going to replace him with I mean what's the list you know (laughs) yeah There's, there's not really a list I don't think yeah I mentioned on Twitter I said I would I would take Bianco
0: from Ole Miss, and that's mainly because of age. Yeah, uh, I think. And but the thing is, Ole Miss fans have their problems with Bianco. He has the same lack of postseason success. Yeah, and so it's it's one of those things. The grass is always greener. Uh, the fact is, we're never going back to a Skip Bertman era where we're in Omaha every year. We're winning the national title every other year. That was that was a huge outlier.
1: Yeah, that's sort of poisoned the well for a while. I mean, it's going to be like the guys that follow Saban at Alabama. Like, who they could be very good, and it won't matter. Right.
0: There comes a point where you're just like, and Saban at least dominated a very developed era of college football. It's not like college football sprang, you know, fully formed from Zeus's head in nineteen, you know, in 1999. Yeah. But uh, um, Burtman that was really the infancy of college baseball as a national sport
1: yeah that's true
0: the sport hadn't quite become what it is today so it was i hate to say easier to dominate but it was easier to dominate
1: (laughs) well yeah you had like what a handful of i mean texas has been around usc um (laughs) Yeah, well, back then it was like the the West Coast teams Arizona were awesome.
0: State, yeah. yeah, Arizona State, USC, they were great. Then you had your smaller, you know, Fullerton was really good. Yeah, and and then you had that weird middle of the country. Oklahoma State was good back then.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, Texas of course, and the SEC was up and coming. And then it didn't really arrive until LSU won, and then everybody started winning out of the SEC. Um, but also, like Miami was pretty good, you know. Florida State's been eternal, it seems, just always in the mix and never winning the title. Mm-hmm. But it took a while. For a long time, it was Western teams win and Texas, and that's it. Like, those are the the only teams who are going to win the title. And then Miami for a while, but that's because they had Morris as the head coach, who's Skip Bertman Basically, after a while, surpassed his master. You know, you know, the. The teacher became
1: <laughs> – and the student became the teacher. So that's where we're at. I mean, uh, how are yeah. you feeling about the teams that, going forward? You know, softball, I don't know what to expect. Um, yeah. Florida, State, Florida
0: State's really good. Um, they, they kill teams in the Tallahassee Regional. Um <laughs> Uh, this year's a success no matter what. So if they lose, they lose. They win, they win. We're playing with house money at this point. So um, I think it all depends on how far – how well Hoover pitches. Um, she was awesome. If if she can keep that up and she's been hurt all year, if she's over her injury and it's back to Carly Hoover, LSU can win the title. Um, they have – Wall Jasper is a great number two. Sidney Smith, who we didn't even have to use, is a great number three. Uh, so there's depth to that rotation, which would really help if they make it to Oklahoma city. So softball's in a good place. They're a contender, but they're not the contender. I'm surprised you said, you think they could win? I, I think they can because there's no one out there who just is steamrolling everybody. Yeah. Um, Florida's really good, but they look, Florida is awesome and they didn't win the sec tournament. Um, there's what eight, nine SEC teams made it to the Super Regionals, and we play those teams week in, week out. So there's going to be no intimidation factor. Sure. Um, you know, you always worry about Oklahoma, but they struggled to get out of their region. They lost their first game, had to come out of the losers' bracket. Uh, Michigan doesn't look like a typical Michigan team.
1: Actually, mm-hmm. they lost
0: to Washington. They lost to Washington. Um, so there's a lot of contenders out there. They're all really every seeded team. I think won their won their region. So there's no there's no David. It's yeah. all Goliath. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think it's an open field that any one of the 16 teams team any of the 16 teams left can win. Um, baseball, on the other hand, I, I think is in a much better place. Like softball, I think has a puncher's chance. Everybody's a contender. I think
1: baseball is rounding out to be the contender. They're playing great. Yeah, it's about time, I guess. I mean, it it seems like like I already mentioned it, but like there was a lot of bitching about Maneri and the team was sort of—I don't know—I don't know if up and down is the right word, but they were just mediocre. Yeah, (laughs) they were. They never like. I think everyone was expecting this to be the clear, dominant, best team in college, and they never Uh, really became that. And look, that wasn't an
0: un—that that that thought wasn't coming out of nowhere. No, no, Uh, not at all. You had Lang and Pochet at the top of the rotation. You returned so many upperclassmen hitters. I mean, you have Kramer, Robertson, Cole Freeman. I mean, this lineup was loaded, and they just didn't quite have it. Whatever that you know nebulous it is, and then over the like the last month, they found it, and they th- this
1: team has the swagger that LSU teams used to have, which is interesting. I mean, that's kind of what we like to see from them. It always yeah, felt like, like we played with an edge when, for our best teams. Yeah, like this
0: is a team that knows how good it is. And I, I, what I really liked is Kramer Robertson earlier in the year. Like he took the criticism personally. I remember he said something about like I've sucked, <laughs> 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 which is really at the time you're like, well, whatever. You have well, he hadn't sucked, but you know you like to see your leaders taking responsibility but instead of just taking responsibility he has then used that as motivation he has been awesome since he has said that and he's been the team's best player and he's the guy who's leading the way so i think that's where he he like refound his cockiness when he said i suck you know he meant it and so now when he comes forth and says i'm awesome he means it as well and i think that's really shows where the team is where their headspace is right now
1: how much credit do you give Maneri? Like, do you feel like... Yeah, is there room for this to be a like a sort of a situation where he let the team kind of grow into itself? Yeah, I mean, look, you got to give
0: a guy credit. Look, if we're going to bash him when they lose, and, you know, we're going to bash him if they lose.
1: <laughs> so
0: <laughs> you have to give him credit when they win. And yeah, this team just emotionally seems in a better place. And what I liked about it is this team faced a lot of adversity earlier in the year. You know, you know Jordan had the injury. Dykeman, we weren't sure what his health was going to be early on, and he's he didn't miss a beat. So this was a team that early on was like, okay, we're missing some of our best players. I don't know what we're going to do. And to give Mineric credit, the one thing he doesn't do is panic. He— if anything, Minary's a little bit too cool. <laughs> like he sits on his hands too much is the yeah. ba- is is the bash on him. So I don't think an LSU team under Maneri is going to panic, and I think that suited this team well over the long haul. He's really he's a really good regular season manager. Be- I mean I know they're not managers in college, but he's a good regular season coach. He he lets the season happened basically like no one gets you you know it's like the old thing about baseball players we play 162 of these things you know i know college it's only 60 but it's the same thought like you don't get too high you don't get too low and he's really good at plotting that course his problem has normally been flicking that switch you know once you get to the postseason finding that extra gear and you know all of a sudden that cool under pressure no longer seems like cool under pressure it seems like i don't know what to do
1: which is a good mantra. Not that I don't know what to do, but the cool under pressure is probably good for tournament time. I mean, with, you know, for a team that has gotten unfairly the reputation of, like, cracking in the postseason. I mean, because that's the big knock, right? He hasn't won at all since... Yeah, 2009. nine. Nine. So maybe this team is
0: built for that. Yeah, and look, if you look at the teams that have lost... Like, I know everyone brings up Stony Brook, but look, Stony Brook turned out to be really good.
1: Yeah, we talked and, about this, like, how good the competition was when we actually bowed out.
0: And also, the weather wreaked havoc on that weekend. People mm-hmm. forget um, that we didn't get a full start out of our ace because we had to move things around. Um, Renato didn't get to play the whole time. I think it was Renato. I can't remember who the ace was that year we played Stony Brook. But... We had to mess up our rotation and we never got a night game because we were always playing a day because of the delays and things. And that that stuff matters. The only series I think he truly dropped the ball was the Houston series where he just... And this is, once again, it's cool under pressure if you win and it's not knowing what to do it's paralyzed by indecision if you lose and it's funny because it's the same it's literally the same thing it's just completely outcome you know the narrative is determined by the outcome yeah you know it so something that seems as a positive on the flip side can see is perceived as a negative if you lose and the yeah the only series i really hold against them is the houston series oh lsu should have won that and they panicked in Game 2. They didn't make a move when they should have, and they let Houston back into a game where they had it won. Um, but, like, last year, Coastal Carolina was better. I mean, what else can you say? Coastal Carolina was the better team.
1: Do you think – so this was just passing my mind when you were talking about his demeanor because I feel like that was something that came up with less over his last few years was sort of that he had – quote unquote mellowed like we didn't see the fiery guy that we saw the first few years I wonder yeah, if this comes with like being in the position for so long I mean he's been here manera has been there for a long time now yeah I think you're right it's like I've seen this shit before
0: yeah <laughs> and I think fans overrate you know a guy yelling on the sidelines that's it looks good for TV but you're not really accomplishing anything I mean, you're just
1: yelling. Yeah, I know. It's also, it's always, like, mistaken for passion or, like, I don't know what, really. I don't know why people like that so much. Look, I mean, Saban's best
0: moments are when he is not yelling. <laughs> you know, when, he, when he's cool and just kind of sitting there and just methodically taking you apart, that's when he's at his best. When he's yelling, normally bad things are happening to his team.
1: Yeah, or, or he's working with Lane Kiffin. Or yeah, or is working. With, well, that's a bad thing that happened to this team. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like
0: I do think it's one of. Once again, it's something that is at one point seen as a positive will later be seen as a negative if you're not winning. And really, at the end of the day, people don't care if you yell. They don't care if you're cool under pressure. They don't care about any of that shit. They don't care what your actual, you know, uh, you know what you're like. You know, what's going on emotionally or anything like that, none of that matters. What matters is wins and losses. That's what's going to determine whether people like you. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. And, 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 but then when, if you're a program like LSU or Oklahoma, sometimes winning isn't enough. The kind of winning that you need to do at a school like ours is you have to win national titles or people are still going to bitch. I mean, people at Oklahoma are yep. going to comp- – complain about bob stoops all the time and on the one hand that's insane bob stoops is probably one of the handful one of the handful most successful coaches in college football on the other hand i see where they're coming from you want to win national titles and it was the same thing with Les. and you know i don't want to relitigate Les miles getting fired we should we should you know no it's just (laughs) i mean it happened but i I do think it's like the perception of the coach. Now Orgeron's in there, and he's a you know, he's a good fiery guy, he's good Cajun. And if L S U starts losing, people aren't gonna be like, well, it's okay because Orgeron shows a lot of passion. No one's gonna say that. They're gonna say he loses too much. At the end of the day, what matters is wins and
1: losses. Yeah, we've talked to before about Ogeron is going to be a bit more, uh, I don't know, businesslike is the word in the way he handles things. Like, I don't think Les tended to keep things in house and be a little more patient and sort of like let things sort of naturally go. And it feels like Ogeron might be more like force the issue type. Yeah, I think you're right. About- also,
0: Les was very in a weird way antagonistic towards the media like he has this great media persona and like espn loved him you know because he kind of had that goofy thing going on you know he did the video of duncan on his daughter you know like stuff like that but in the actual day-to-day nitty-gritty i mean he really kind of alienated beat reporters because he didn't give them anything
1: yeah he really didn't and he would always give those sort of Open-ended answers to things. <laughs> yeah, and like if you're
0: a beat reporter, you're like, dude, I got to file a gamer. Can you give me something? <laughs> like, yeah. I just can't. I can't write down crazy talk. I, I need something. I just need. I just need the standard coaching bullshit. Just give it to me. And <laughs> I think Coach O will be much better about that. I, I don't think he's going to be as much of a national personality as Les, but I think he'll have better media relations locally. And I think he's really made an effort for that. I think that's a big part of it. I think that's what Pomansky really stressed. I think that's what got him hired.
1: Yeah, yeah, we talked about it. It's like, that's a big reason he got the job is he played those played those cards right. He got the right people on his side. Yeah, and look, and I'm not saying that's a
0: bad reason to hire a coach. No. I mean, look, media relations matter. <laughs> yeah, it's it's part of the job at this point. Yeah, this is a multi-million dollar industry. This is a huge program. You know, thousands of people are counting on it for jobs. We need it for content. <laughs> we don't like it when the, you know, they go away for the summer. And uh, a lot of people depend on LSU football. And so part of it is you need good public relations. And LSU's public relations department has been kind of subpar. Yeah,
1: to say the least.
0: Yeah. Uh, and th- what I go back to is this. Leonard Fournette was not a Heisman finalist. And that's just mind-boggling to me. Yeah, Like, that's when you – him not winning, that's on him. Not making New York, that's on the PR department. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the same with Jamarcus Russell. The fact that Jamarcus Russell wasn't even – I don't even think it was top ten. I mean, LSU has done a very poor job of promoting – Players.
1: Uh, yeah, to, I mean, yeah, that's that's putting it nicely. I would say.
0: <laughs> and, you know, some guys have won awards. You know, like uh, you know, Honey Badger, you know, won his share. Mo Clayborn. So it's not like
1: they've won nothing, but at the same time, like, but even when the. You know, when Matthew was like having that amazing year, it was never like LSU was pimping him out and talking him up. Like it was just the national media was obsessed with him.
0: Yeah, I remember I wrote a post where I com I compared his stats uh, to a uh, um, what's um Guy from and I also I can't believe I met, blanked on the guy from Michigan who won the Heisman Trophy, the only defensive player. Oh, Woodson. Woodson. I compare his numbers to Woodson. Matthew blew him out of the water, I, and you know he had more touchdowns. You know he had as many interceptions. He had more pass breakups, which is a really sketchy statistic, particularly back then. Of course. But but like Matthew measured up, and the the LSU PR department should have been making that point. They should have been saying, "Hey, if Woodson won the Heisman, what about this guy?" And also, he's the best player on the best team in the country because that was 2011.
1: Yeah. And he was a legitimate game changer, too. It wasn't just like, like, we've had great defenders where it's like, oh, he's, you know, like, he played a great game. He really locked down his man, you know, like, Claiborne yeah. or something. It was like Matthew was doing these things that just completely changed the course of entire games. <laughs> yeah, like his, like, Desmond
0: Howard returned one putt. <laughs> yeah and he's famous for it I mean Matthew did that like three or four times hell we forget how many games Trey White changed and we're kind of like eh whatever yeah yeah Oh, he he scored only three touchdowns like whatever (laughs) and so yeah I think that's one of the good things about the Coach O era I don't think that kind of thing will slip through the cracks
1: Uh, yeah to go I mean and to bring it back full circle I didn't mean to get us off baseball um but you wonder how much of this is just sort of Minary being sort of comfortable. And and I'm not saying uh, complacent. I'm just saying comfortable.
0: No, I, th- I think that he's at the point in his career where he doesn't have to prove shit to anybody. He, When Texas was looking for a, a new coach last year, he got his raise. Yeah, he leveraged it wisely. And you know what? He he had earned that raise. He had, he had earned it a while ago, and he needed LSU to show him some love. And I think he's—I don't think he's sitting back, going, "Oh, I finally made it." But I do think there's an element of, "I'm the guy. This is my program. I'm no longer looking over my back every ten seconds when somebody mentions Skip Burtman." Yeah. Like at this point, Skip Burtman is history. For like, sure. and he's he's beloved history, and I'm always going to love Skip. I, I mean, Skip is Skip's God. I, I, yeah. And everybody and everybody knows that, but he's at a point now where he's no longer threatening to the present. Which I think he was even back in 2009.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, you're still dealing with all the Smoke Laval. Yeah, know, yeah, like, exactly. All that crap, so. And, and uh, so. and also, I think the
0: thing that's helped Minari is just how much South Carolina's fallen off this year. Yeah, I that mean, really cause, took a tumble. Because South Carolina's been the dominant SEC program. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of been like, hey, we're losing – we're losing our identification as the premier SEC baseball program. And the, the transition from Tanner is showing that it, it ain't that easy. You know, what Maneri has done
1: is really, really hard. Yeah. We've talked about before too. I keep saying that, but like this, keeping a program at a top level is much harder than building one to a top level. I think I, I think it is, too. Uh,
0: it's it's These things are not self-sustaining. And we'll just bring it to football because, you know, people care most about football. Like, look at Texas. Like, yeah. like Texas has its own TV network, and they can't churn out eight-win seasons.
1: Yeah, no reason for that program to ever be in the state that it's been in.
0: Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame at least has the academics excuse. Yep. And— Hey, does anyone know what Notre Dame did last year? Does anyone know their record? I, uh, let me... Uh, oh. I'm pulling it up. Uh, looks like Notre Dame went 4-8 and eight last year. Notre Dame went 4-8? Oh, first I've heard of that. Um, but yeah, like these massive... Well, USC, they were a machine. And USC fell off for a few years. And I know part of that was probation. But that's... It's been a few years since then. They have not, you know... And in their absence, other programs have risen, most notably Washington.
1: Yeah, and I'm probably the most, um, of anybody on our site, probably the most, like, our football program's not going to go down. Uh, but that's, I mean, yeah. I guess you when, when Texas was riding through Mac, like, they didn't ever think they would be, whatever, 5-1 team either, so... Yeah, no one sees it coming. It's this uh, unexpected... Like, I don't... People are like, well, the people that hate Ogeron are like, he's going to tank the program on... I just don't really see that happening because of the way he recruits. I don't know that he'll take us to new heights or even, like, super heights, but I think he'll be a solid, like, nine winning, nine games, ten games here and there kind of coach. I, think I don't two, know.
0: You never know, I, you know? I, I think two things will say... are are going to define him one i think you're right the recruiting he recruits lights out and i think secondly it's just how down the sec is i i think the sec is about to take an even steeper turn downwards uh the coaching talent is not there and if you compare us to the acc and i'm banging this drum a lot yeah the acc is all is on the ascent and they've already caught the sec They're just going to keep going forward. And the SEC coaching fraternity right now is extraordinarily unimpressive outside of Saban. So I think Coach O can win 10 games because he's coaching against a bunch of substitute teachers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Who was that that tweeted about this a couple weeks ago about, like, after Saban named the second best coach in the SEC? And people were like, I guess Kevin someone. Yeah, like (laughs) –
0: I'd say Dan Mullen, and yeah. that's kind of an excitement of everybody. Like, Mullen's won more than anybody, and he's won at Mississippi State. That's hard to do. Yeah, um, it, the door is open for LSU to keep winning, mainly because there isn't – Auburn's up and down all the time. Um, Arkansas is not quite what they once were. Um, A&M is up and down all over the place, and they can't play defense. It, it's just like there's no one on the schedule that – scares you no one's terrible I'll give them that like we no longer have a Mississippi State doormat but everybody's like a six and five team
1: yeah yeah there's really needs to be some people turn you know either less com- or not sorry either O comes in and turns LSU back into like one of the top two teams in the conference or you got like Sumlin Malzon turning those programs up or McElwain, I guess Turning them like yeah. turning the page and being what they haven't been. Otherwise, like I don't know who else in the you know conference can really compete at that sort of yeah. national level. Like I don't see Arkansas or Mississippi State being. It's Auburn.
0: Uh, yeah, it, yeah, I mean, they're know, the ones. At least in the in the West. In the East, you have Tennessee. If they can ever get their act together, Florida, of course, Georgia. I mean, there's plenty of options. Out. South Carolina, I think, is. Clemson showing how strong the recruiting base is, but That's for look, sure. LSU is what basically their goal right now, and this is kind of how I view Coach O, and this is kind of terrible, but he's a placeholder until Nick Saban retires, <laughs> and he, his job is to keep LSU in second place, so when Alabama uh, loses Nick Saban, LSU can take over the top spot. It's not a bad plan. Yeah, I mean, like, his job is not to win national titles. If he wins one, that's great. I mean, high fives all around. But his job is to go 10-2 and two and just keep us in the conversation. And so, and when Alabama falls off, we can start winning again with a, let's face it, probably another coach. Because Orgeron's older than people think.
1: Yeah. You wonder, like, Gundy's had if Oliva would, would cop to that. Do you think he, he genuinely believes he hired, like, a guy the that's going yeah, to win national championships?
0: I don't think you can plausibly argue he thinks he hired the best coach in the country. He, I, I don't think there's any way you can make that argument. I think he hired a guy that he was comfortable with. And, yeah, I think he can win the national title at LSU. But he's banking a lot on we'll have a decent head coach and great coordinators. Yeah. And right now. And right now, we have great coordinators. But we do. They're, they're not going to be here for very long, such as the role of great coordinators.
1: Yeah. order and upward. So we could be killing time until Aranda can become head coach. You talked about, too, that like the ACC coaching fraternity has improved, but the Big Ten as well. I'm just like scrolling through yeah. their list because – Obviously, you have Dantonio and Harbaugh and Meyer, but James Franklin has got things going at Penn State, and then right. you have Paul Christ at Wisconsin, who's doing a great job. And then they just hired Jeff Brom and PJ Fleck, so that's two more really good coaches coming to the conference. Huge fan of both of them. Um, and then you've Durkin. got like, yeah, and then you've got Riley and Fitzgerald, who are two like old school successful coaches.
0: Yeah, they're loaded too. And I think what it is is that the SEC has been obsessed with getting coaches who have a quote unquote resume. And basically they've been chasing the Mike Rileys of the world. And that's not a knock on Mike Riley, but you see where I where I'm coming from. Like Mike Riley is we we mentioned him as a throw in of a, oh yeah, he gives some depth to the Big 10. Right. He, he's a really good coach, but he also I think Mike Riley's best days are behind him. Yeah, for sure. And I think the problem is if you hire a guy who has a great resume, he's already accomplished everything he's going to accomplish is kind of the problem with it. That means that the guy is on – probably on the decline of his career. Mm -hmm. And this is something we talked about a lot last year is that there aren't many second acts in in coaching. Forget college football. Coaching in general, it is hard to find a guy who was great one place – Leaves and then goes somewhere else and is great there too that's what makes you know Sabin and Meyer so unique but also they had kind of special circumstances like Sabin had hadn't been at LSU for very long and urban Meyer really hadn't spent a lot of time at Florida when he you know suddenly wanted to spend time with his family which looks suspiciously like a TV studio um, <laughs> most coaches who have had like a 10 or 15 year of success, at one school. Don't move on to another school. And if they do, they're rarely successful. There are some cases, but it's not that common.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty pretty small class. I mean, I went through that whole article of like coaches that even leave when the whole debate of are we going to get Jimbo was going on. Yeah. You you sort of one stop it, you know, like you said, it's a, once you get that top job you're pretty much content to stay there and just leverage them, getting what you want out of them until they fire you or you retire. Yeah, pretty much. And if you do go on to an, it's it's hard to replace these people.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's the guys who are great at two jobs, it doesn't happen a whole lot. And so I think the SEC is, they want to win the press conference and not win the hire, is kind of. And the ACC and the Big Ten, they've been more willing to hire guys who are up and coming. You yeah. know, guys who haven't who haven't quite made their name yet but look like they're going to. You know, P.J. Fleck being a great example.
1: Yeah, and it's weird too that – you're right, the resume thing because it's like some of these programs, including ours, sort of thumb their noses at guys like Fleck or Jeff Braun because they were unproven. And I did air quotes. Yeah, and I'm like, those are the guys that are going to be Saban and Meyer. Like those are the you know yeah. late 30s, early 40s guys that are hitting their peaks.
0: Yeah, in 10 years, those are going to be the guys who are proven. Now we don't know which one of them is going to be that guy. Yeah, I'll give you know, okay, Of that. course, there's risk. Uh, but if you're looking for the home run hire, it's one of those guys. It's not you know a guy who's just been successful somewhere. And look, I still think Larry Fedoris can has a shot of being a great coach, but he's getting up there in age.
1: So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I think that's a pretty astute observation that Ogeron is sort of a transitional figure.
0: And look, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I yeah, think, it might be smart money, you know. Uh, look, LSU has uh, the good thing is like I, I feel that we've been at war over the head coach for a decade. I, I mean, people were complaining before, you know, even when he was winning titles. So. It's just it's nice to be able to turn the page and like, hey, there's a new guy and everybody, largely everybody's on board with it. So let's let's have a season where we don't question whether, you know, whether the coach is on the hot seat and every game is in a referendum on his coaching strategy.
1: Yeah, that became exhausting.
0: And, yeah, like, that's kind of, I, I think, what Orgeron really brings to the table. is it's, it's just a chance for the entire collective fan base to just take a breath and yeah. be like, and let a game just be a game. Like, it's no longer, you know, a referendum on his entire career.
1: Yeah, on that same note, you sent me uh, via DM a... Uh, Barrett Sally, whatever, I don't know how to say his last name, I don't care, Uh, tweet about how we're the most overrated, according to the Bovada odds. So I'm curious, like, it's super early anyways, obviously, but do you think our fans are expecting, like, a playoff team? I don't feel like we are. I don't think anyone is. Look,
0: honestly, like, once you get past the top five or six teams, like LSU's odds on Vivada are two are plus two thousand, which is essentially twenty to one. Yeah. Um, once you get past like the actual contenders, there's not a whole lot of difference between the team that's I think LSU was like tenth between number ten and number twenty five. They're all pretty much like yeah, it's a it's a number that's designed to make you go yeah, I'll put fifty yeah. bucks on that. I could Whatever. put money on that. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, And uh, there's just not that much of a gap. I mean. Meanwhile, like you know, Washington, Alabama, Florida State—they're going to have really minuscule numbers that actually matter. You know, they're going to be like—I don't—I don't know what, but they'll be at like plus six hundred. Right. Where you're like, what? Where you're not going to throw—that's throwing money away if you don't think they're actually going to win the title. Like if I was in Vegas right now and saw LSU was plus two thousand, I would place that bet just for shits and giggles. Yeah. Like, like that's. That's how long of a number is. That's not a thinking bet. Like it's not – once the odds get that big, it's no longer about how good you are. It's just about not looking like a ridiculous number.
1: By the way, I just remember this week – I'm super pissed about this. I was in Vegas last fall and it was – I wanted to bet Clemson to win the title. And it was the weekend that like all that shit weather hit the east coast so oh yeah like all yeah. the carolinas were like all stormed out and yeah it was i think it was florida week so our game got canceled and all that shit and so they pulled clemson off the board they wouldn't even let you bet them oh that's I just know. A, i think they had pretty good odds so like it wouldn't have been a big win or anything but i'm still kind of pissed because i would have yeah. won some money
0: now that kind of sucks yeah you got you got hosed on that one
1: yeah anyways that was a detour but, I, yeah, I think, you're, I think you're spot on. I think it's weird to – I don't see us as – I think we'll be good, but I don't think we'll be a playoff
0: team. I think the question is whether we finish second or third. It's between us and Auburn, and I think we're both miles behind Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, weird. I mean, I mean, look, if everything comes together, you can envision a scenario where LSU runs the table. Like, you, you can picture it. Yeah, hey, like, of course. But it's. Look, it also depends on what you think of Danny Etling. (laughs) Yeah. And I think Etling's a guy. And I know, like, Seth Galina, you know, loves him and thinks he's going to be a star. And if you have that kind of commitment on Danny Etling, well, then that means we have a quarterback. And if you have a quarterback, you can do it. Exactly. Because, you know, you have Darius Geis, he's going to be a Heisman contender. You return a lot of the offensive line. You know the defense, we lose a lot, but you know what? You still have a pass rush. You have Arden Key, and there's a lot of athletes in the secondary. You know, that's a good team. So you can sit there, and the big question mark is: Will we be able to throw the ball? And my attitude towards it is kind (laughs) of (laughs) maybe. But I know there are people who are like, "No, Etling is the guy. He can throw the ball. This guy's going to be great." And I don't agree with that, but if you do believe that, then you do think LSU is a national title contender.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, it, I mean, uh, shock of the century here that our LSU football team is going to depend on the the quarterback again. Yeah, but this is,
0: I think, a little bit different. I think with this one, it's, I think we're, I don't want to say killing time. Once I called, you know, Coach O a, you know, an interim hire almost. That's kind of how I view Etling as quarterback. Like Canada wants to put in, you know, the modern college offense, and that means, you know, uh, a quarterback who can run a little bit, and that's not Danny Etling. Which means, if Danny Etling's the best quarterback, we're waiting a year to install the full Matt Canada offense, and that concerns me a little bit, but not enough that it keeps me up at night. Because you know at the end of the day, you've got to play with what
1: you got. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think they're definitely going to try and well, it, it, honestly, our best player in offense is guys, so yeah, yeah, any, any, any effort to do anything but feature him is one in vain, basically. <laughs> but they can do creative things that maybe the previous coaching staff wasn't doing so well. Yeah, and I, I
0: do think our receiving core is going to have a little bit of addition by subtraction. Um, I don't want to belabor how, mo- how disappointed I was in Malachi to season, but I, I think the quotes that have come out of from the younger players, like when you read the preview, uh, I do get the feeling that he was, uh, let's just say, the, not the best guy in the locker room. Well, has there been some bad talk? Well, no, it's more like, you know, it's a fresh start. You know, the air is clear, but also like when Dupree came back, like, you know, for his junior year, if I would have known what I knew, I wouldn't have come here. Kind of like I, I just think he—I mean, I don't think he was like saying, "Let's get coaches fired" or anything like that, or "I'm not going to work." But I—I I, I do think he wasn't happy, and it showed up in his play.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's pretty interesting how far he fell in the draft. Like I—I I didn't think that he would go high, but I didn't think he would fall that far.
0: But honestly, I'm, I'm actually, I would have taken him lower, but honestly, he ended up in a good landing spot. Green Bay. Oh, yeah. Perfect place. Uh,
1: you know, look, if he, if he doesn't make it in Green Bay, that's his own. Uh, that's on him. Yeah, I it, mean, it, there's no more non passing game, no quarterback situation there. And also, he'll be able to play the slot, which I think the biggest knock on Malachi
0: Dupree was towards the end of the year, he couldn't get off the line of scrimmage on his own. And for an elite wide receiver, that's bad. I mean there's no other way to say it. Like that's part of the job. And the fact that we had to move him to the slot kind of speaks volumes about where he was. Green Bay, they could put him in the slot, no problem. They've got receivers. So he'll be a third option. He could just tear it, you know, tear you a new one. I mean you know, he's not gonna get press coverage on the line of scrimmage. That's gonna be great for him.
1: Yeah, it is an interesting thing. Like I I guess um from his perspective I could get why he felt even with the new coaching staff, maybe burned in a sense like he never really got to utilize his skills in the way he would have hoped um even if we can objectively look at it and say well you also just didn't really maximize your talents on your own merits because things like you just said he couldn't get off a jam or he yeah. wasn't the most aggressive guy going after the ball in the air until the freaking louisville game and then he was like where the fuck has this guy been for three years you know yeah, that game irritated me. I'm not
0: gonna lie. I, was, I got kind of mad about that game. But yeah. Oh, but also, if like he's a person at yeah. the end of the day, like
1: a young he's a person.
0: Kid. Yeah, exactly. He's a kid. He, he kids get frustrated. You know, he gets mad about things. Like, and I'm sure it wasn't any fun playing as a wide receiver in LSU's offense. It's a lot of blocking. Yep. And, and so I do see. It's not like his
1: complaints were
0: illegitimate.
1: No, no, definitely not. Well, one thing I think is interesting, too, just a coattail on this, is news that unfolded again while we were on our little siesta here was the Texas Tech receiver, Jonathan Giles, transferring to LSU, which is a complete diversion from their offense to what we've been. And it's hard to envision – miles staff landing a recruit like that. Like, I just don't feel like they could have, even oh, with the totally full court agree. press. Like, I don't think they, they had too much bad. will at that point <laughs> to win over someone like that. I mean, this kid has put up <sighs> some serious numbers at tech offensive system, be damned, but he, you know, he had like 80 catches. I mean, that's well, more than that's that. Why guy. Th-
0: it's why I think this year is so important. Because you need the offense. It doesn't need to be record-breaking, but it needs to be above average so you can get some credibility. Because basically, you said, "Hey, look, we can't throw the ball," but that was all less. It was his fault. Yep. You know, you know, he was the guy. He kept the offense in the dark ages. He wanted to run, 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 and that's why we couldn't throw. Well, Les Miles ain't here anymore. And so, and you had the excuse at the end of last year. You could say, "Look, we're still running his system." However it goes, you know, you can't install an offense. Can't change that much in, in the middle of the season. Totally agree. So you don't have that excuse this year. You need to put up some offensive numbers because you've got talent. You've always recruited. Well, you have plenty of talent there. You have a quarterback. And, you know, like I've just said that I'm not a huge believer in Atling. But look, you have a, you're a returning starting quarterback. You have the returning starting running, running back. You turn three starters on the offensive line. Like, We need to see some production out of that offense if you're going to have that credibility to get receivers in the future to come here. Otherwise, it's just going to be, oh, well, same old LSU. It doesn't matter who's coaching there. Yeah, this is
1: just what they do. Yeah, it's just
0: what they do. Like, so I'm not going to go there. So I think this is a critical year for Matt Canada. He he needs to, once again, doesn't need to be record-breaking. You don't need to lead the conference. You know, you don't suddenly have, like, A&M have three receivers who are just, you know, doing awesome. But you do need to show him something.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, dead on. You've got to see the seeds being planted and that. Right. I, yeah. You I, can it, accept a, li- a limited quarterback under the notion that, like, well, he was the best of a lot of young players that they're still trying to bring along kind of thing.
0: Right. And at least they tried. Like, here was that, like I saw some multiple sets and, you know, I saw them, you know, bust out four wide receivers and it did look like they were uncomfortable. Like, you know, just, you know, they, they ran out of a single back a lot of times, you know, just stuff like that. Like they didn't, they didn't play a tight end on every play, like just something that makes it look like, Oh, this is LSU is joining everybody else in the modern era of spread football.
1: Yeah. I, you know, and fair or not, the Alabama game will still be the measure of that. Like, I feel like we could have the SEC's best offense all year, and if we get Stonewall versus Alabama, people will still be like, well, it's the same old offense. No, I think that's true.
0: But I, I think, really, I think the big, the measuring stick, even though I do agree it's Alabama, at the end of the year, it's going to be Auburn, because that's the team that's getting picked to finish second in the West. So, so LSU needs to. They need to tap that down. They need to be like, no, Auburn is not, has not taken our spot, and I I think that's the goal. I think that you know you got to set reasonable goals. I mean, I know you want to say, hey, we're going for the national title, but I don't honestly think that's the legitimate goal for this year. I I think it's maintaining your position as number two. This is an RC Cola year. Well, they're they're always number three. So this is a Pepsi Cola year. You know, (laughs) you don't need to be Coke, but you know you got to hold everybody off and maintain that you're number two.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And if you surprise some people, then all the better. Hey, yeah, then you're Dr
0: Pepper, and everything's all you know. Larry Culpepper comes over, you know, sits on your couch with Steve Spurrier for some reason, and there you go. Yeah, you know, and then he'll invent the college football playoffs on your couch. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be awesome, but no, so yeah, uh, you, you kind of look at where the year is going to go. This is it's an exciting year because I, I don't know what to expect, and I, I think that's. I mean, last year we had really high expectations, and I think rightfully so. I think you know there was a lot of "I told you so"s afterwards, but I still think they're wrong. I, th- I think you look at it on paper, LSU. Should have had the expectations they did last year. Yeah, they weren't unfair. Yeah, and the fact that they didn't live up to them, I think they were we were rightfully disappointed. And I think you know Les Miles was rightfully fired for it. Like this was what he was building towards. It was that team. This year is the hangover, but you didn't really get that drunk. <laughs> like you didn't have the fun part. You got instead of getting happy drunk, you got angry drunk. And this was always going to be the step back year. So. On the one hand, I want to say, hey, look, you get a little bit of leash. You know, I don't need a great year. At the same time, it's your first year as head coach. You need to show me something. And let's be honest, your other times as head coach have not gone that well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's – I don't don't think the culture eases just because we transition to a new coach. Like LSU is not going to suddenly be like content to win eight games. Yeah, and I think hell—that's the whole reason we fired less. If, yeah.
0: if we were content in eight games, we should have kept them, and you know, yeah, rode it out to the sunset. Yeah, because that's because he was fun. But if if you're not good you know, if the goal is ten, eleven wins, then you know, I, I think the standard doesn't change who the coach is. You know, it—the standard is the standard, and I am willing to give a you know a pass for this year because of the situation, not because of the coaching change, but because this was always going to be how the team was built. This was always going to be the step back year. Yep. So so you get a little bit of a free pass, not because of your newness, but because of who the program lost.
1: Yeah. This is the rebuild.
0: Yeah. I mean, you you lost
1: that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. You know, you lost Jamal, you lost Trey, you lost Leonard Burnett, you you know, Malachi, um, Travin, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I mean, it, Possibly. You lost, yeah, you lost
1: a you know a lot of guys. Yeah, so. NFL type players. I had this thought. This is totally off the LSU subject, but I was watching right. this video before we got on of the Auburn band during the kick six, which is a great video because. I don't know why this camera man had the wherewithal to record only the band and how he didn't lose his shit like everyone else, but (laughs) good on him because it was kind of fun to watch the band just lose their minds. But I started thinking, I was like, well, kick six might be the greatest moment in college football history. And it's certainly in the discussion. Yeah. So I was thinking it might be fun to do like a series of pieces, since we, you and I seem to like these big, long, drawn-out series. of we,
0: we, particularly about history, I think these are things we like to do.
1: Yeah, but we'll, if we did sort of like a greatest moments in college football history,
0: so you want to expand it past LSU that we want to say all of college football?
1: I think so. I mean, we could do we could start with. I mean, we could do both. Well, how about because
0: you know, look, we'll throw it open to our reader to our listeners you know hit us up at the you know at the twitter address at sneaky good pod and say would you rather us do a, a greatest moments in LSU history or all of college football or SEC i'm yeah. open to any of those and also like do we want to do all time or like, do we want to restrict it to like the last 20 years do we want to say in the tv era like since the modern era i think starts with 1980 that's kind of my yeah it's that's kind of my rough starting time for the modern era. Yeah, um, when you
1: start getting back way far, you're just kind of reading everyone else's gushing, and it's like oh. yeah, like
0: I, yeah, like I've seen the film of Red Grange, you know, but it, it, that's really all I know about Red Grange is that he scored a whole bunch of touchdowns in one game, and right. apparently it was fucking awesome. <laughs> like, but yeah, I'd feel bad if we're if we're writing the greatest plays of all time, I'd include him, but we ran into this problem when we did the greatest lsu teams it's like where do you stick these guys and when it's not your emotional attachment to it it becomes even more difficult yeah very true because with lsu it was like hey it's at least our history if we snub a guy you can't say it's cuz we hate lsu you know we're, we're doing our best here if you snub a guy you know from you know the 1938 minnesota team it's cuz you hate the big 10
1: <laughs> yeah you know, I and thought so we did a pretty, of, pretty fucking good job. Like, we never got anybody that was just outraged. Like, we had some minor disagreements with our list, but no one was ever like, you've totally forgot so-and-so. Yeah, no. Also, and what's cool about the list is it was
0: – like, I always view lists – I think people approach them wrong. Of like, it, you're not – it's not supposed to be definitive. No. It, it's more about – remembering great players and I love the discussion. And so it was also a great way to like remember players or also like promote guys who I think had been kind of lost. I remember like, you know, I made a big argument for Chris Williams who I think is just a a great player who's totally lost in LSU's history and, you know, or pinky ROM having like all these punt return history. I never even heard of pinky ROM. And like, and I think stuff like that, I think is really important as fans because you're not trying to say, Oh, well, Pinky Ron was a better returner than uh, the Honey Badger. I mean, if you put them both on the same field, clearly, you know, Terran Matthew is a better player. But we're trying to, like, stir the memory or trying to, like, make people recognize the history. And I think that's the fun of it. It's like it's looking at everything.
1: Yeah, I think we did a good job, if, if you listened to the pod and read the series on the site, I thought we did a good job on the pod of talking about fucking everybody, basically. So it was kind of like, these are yeah. the five people we chose in this sea of great players. Like, all of these guys are amazing and deserving. We just picked these five.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the important thing. Like, hey, I'm a big fan of the Hall of Fame. I really like Hall of Fame. You are a Hall of Fame nerd. I will even get drawn into arguments about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I think the (laughs) Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the most ridiculous thing in the world, all right? That said, the reason I like it is I like talking about history. It's mainly a chance for me to talk – but for me, the worst Hall of Fame argument, and I hate this argument so much, is this guy sucks. Like, you know – You should put X in the hall because Y is clearly terrible and, you know, everything X does is better than Y. That's – I won't listen to that argument. That's stupid. The much better argument is to say, hey, player Y is in the Hall of Fame and here's player X. And he did this better than player Y and he did this better than player Y. He meets the Hall of Fame standard because player Y met the Hall of Fame standard because he's in the Hall of Fame. Look at the ways player X also meets that standard. It should be a way to rise everybody up. And also, if you're in consideration for the Hall of Fame, you're already a great player. I think that should go without saying, but yeah,
1: yeah. I feel self evident.
0: But people totally lose track of that. Like, it's, you know, like I know we're going to, you know, we'll do Derek Jeter in a, in a little bit. And look, Derek Jeter is one of the most overrated defensive players of all time. He is not good defensively. That said, he's still a shortstop. Um, That makes him better than about 80% of the players in baseball history at defense because he played shortstop. Like, I know that sounds weird, but that's where you put your best defensive player. (laughs) If he was truly, like... The worst defensive player ever. He'd be playing first base. Yeah, for like <laughs> sure.
1: they would have shipped him off to left field a long time ago. Exactly, particularly with his bat.
0: Like they wouldn't have kept him at the short. So, and also Derek Jeter's clearly a Hall of Famer. Like, I, and I say that as someone who hates the Yankees with every fiber of my being. But I know, like, on the Jeter tributes, I was trying to jump in. I was like, I'll, my thing was like trying to promote Bernie. Be like, remember. The Yankees, when they won four or five, their captain was Bernie Williams. yeah, I saw your uh, your tweets about that and and they stopped losing, they stopped winning when Bernie Williams retired. Now this doesn't mean that Jeter doesn't deserve to go to the Hall of Fame. he totally does. It means that Bernie Williams deserves consideration, and that's my pitch for Bernie Williams for the but yeah, like I would love to do like greatest plays, so we'll throw it open to the group if you want us to do college football, lSU or SEC. Yeah, I like that. And we will then we'll work on a date range. But also give you something to read over the summer. So that can be our – and of course I will – we're getting close to doing our unit rankings again, which I will make you guys participate in. Yeah, those are always fun.
1: It's a good way to prep for the season too. I I think so too. That's what
0: it really comes down to is you really – it's a good way to – it forces you to research bit by bit. And so – and also I like that we have different philosophies
1: yeah that makes it fun too because you'll you'll throw your part in and then billy is different than you and different than me but probably closer to me i don't know yeah because i feel that you're much
0: more of italian a talent evaluator totally you're That's, like i'm almost like,
1: always basing it on talent
0: you're like look they have this recruit this recruit this recruit they should be good
1: yeah and my,
0: mine is more production yeah what did they do done? what have you done like, I, uh, you know, look, it, I remember we had a big divide on this on Missouri's defensive line was a big divide for all of us. You guys had them really low for a couple of years of just like, look, these guys aren't that talented. And I was just like, they lead the SEC every year in sacks. They got to be doing something right. Mm-hmm. And and so we kind of had like this. And I don't want to say either one. You know, I don't want to say that you're morons and I was right and you were wrong. No. Um, right. because I was right for a while and then I was wrong when I, when I got wrong, I went wrong in a hurry, <laughs> but, uh, I liked huh. the idea that we came at it from totally different vantage points. And I think that gives you a good, well-rounded view of things. So play will be a little bit different cause it, I don't know how I'm going to evaluate that cause you can't do it on recruiting rankings or, you know, stats like there is no stat for greatness of play. Maybe we should invent one. No, I'm totally gonna invent one. That's what I'm gonna do now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that'll be fun. It'll be a good project. Hopefully, everyone else enjoys it as much as we usually get a good kick out of these things. I never know if people like it as much as we do. Yeah, I love doing the
0: historical. The summer for us is a chance to do like historical research, and I think last year was the most fun I had when we did the all-time LSU team. That was just a lot of fun. I, it was a lot of work. Like you we did legitimate research. I, you know, like I I was pouring particularly cuz I we divided up by modern era yeah, yeah. Uh, you had to
1: work a lot harder because you were diving into these guys that it's a lot harder to find information about them.
0: Yeah, like I'm doing, like I took out the media guide and I went through like who you know who's our all-time leaders in these categories, and that was my starting point. Yep. And then then I'm like going through box scores and going to pro, you know, college football reference, and I'm like look going through game by game stats, and it was oh, and then like I would try and find you know I have uh, whatchamacallit, the old uh, Fighting Tigers history book, you know. Uh, what's that? You know, Klein? Peter who wrote that? Uh, I don't even know who wrote that. Like, what's the old advocate? Yeah,
1: yeah know? I know. I have a copy. Uh, yeah, I, it's have from the, like, I know what you're from exactly about. what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, it's from the 1980s. It's great, but it was great for old players. And it was an excuse to, like, read the book. And, like, I, I loved... It was it was kind of a walk-down memory. And also, like, I got to talk to my mom a little bit. I'm going to be like, hey, mom, you know, was this guy any good? Yeah. And she'd be like, yeah, like, I remember him. He did, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, like, I remember when he beat Ole Miss. And so, like, she's always my gauge of, like, what's the level of fame of a player.
1: Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, like, I, this stuff was fun to do. It was. Yeah, I like, too, that sometimes I would go into – as much as you try to be, not have, like, preconceived bias, of course you do. Yeah. And there are times when you go in there expecting to see one thing and see someone else. Like, I, don't, I can't even think of who right now, but it would just be like, I'm going to see this guy at the top of, like, every list, and you go in there and it's, like, another guy. It's just, like, yeah. over and over and over again. You're like, holy shit. Like, Brandon LaFell is, like, a good example. Like, if you asked anybody, no one would say he's, like, a top five guy. But if you go look at all of our leading stats, like, his name is up there on almost everything what was it it was like Balanson
0: for linebackers it's just all over our record book and like that's not the guy you would have no No. like he dominated that era and you're just like wow how did like why don't I know more about this guy and that was kind of the fun of it and you know I'm still a Michael Brooks guy like that's never going to change but you know but also it was like getting reminders of guys like Ramsey, Dardar and you're like oh my god I you know He's kind of passed out of my even my own memory, and I watched him play. And if you know your crackles age, you know that name doesn't even mean anything to you, right? And I think that's a shame. Uh, like I like old players. Like it's up to us to keep those players alive, because in twenty years, people aren't going to remember, you know, Malachi Dupree. And it's up to you to, you know, say yeah. no. Malachi did this, and that was really cool. Trey White was a great shutdown corner. You don't understand like how good he was. And if you don't make those arguments – if you don't commit them to memory now, you're not going to be able to make the argument for them twenty years from now. And they get lost, and that's a shame. And I, that's speaking of some, you know, Orgeron. That's one of the good things he's doing is bringing players back in, and like tying the team back to its history.
1: I've always appreciated that about you because you are—you're certainly an analytics guy. Like you like advanced stats, and you're you're all over it. Um, but you're also—you're good with the countermeasure to that. And I—I I like the way that you can appreciate a player for who he is on the field and what he meant to that particular team or era, which is what often gets lost when you start drilling things down to like going by the numbers.
0: You know? Yeah. I would say with the numbers crowd, there's I have a few problems with just the pure analytics crowd, but I think w- one of my major problems is is their obsession with like the one true number. Yeah, uh, this it's a bigger problem in baseball where you have WAR. I hate WAR because I don't think you can drill a player's contributions down to one number. I think that's just conceptually wrong. And I think what's what I like about analytics is it allows me to say, well, I'll take two totally different players. You know, in history, I'll say Juan Pierre and Rob Deere. Like, that's about as different as two players can. And if you just showed me the career war, I bet you they're pretty similar, but I, I'm like, that doesn't tell you anything. Instead, I like the fact that, you know, Juan Pierre was able to, you know, get on base by being a slap hitter, you know, he ran a lot. And that's how he contributed to his team. And Rob Deere could hit the broadside of the barn, but he was a three-true outcomes player. And he had a ton of home runs, but he hit 220, but he walked a ton and he struck out a ton. But he still contributed because he could hit the ball so hard. And I think being a fan of the sport requires – not requires, but you should as a fan be able to appreciate both of their contributions instead of saying one is better than the other. You need a table setter and you need a power hitter. You need them both. Totally different players. Yeah, totally different. If you had a team of nine Juan Piers, you're gonna lose. And if you have nine Rod Deers, you're gonna lose. But if you had, you know, one Juan Pierre and one Rod Deer and a bunch of average guys, you'd probably be, you know, better than five hundred team. I mean, because you know you'd have your leadoff guy and you'd have
1: a you know a number you know four number five hitter. Yeah, and the composition of a team is what makes. All of this so fascinating. Yeah,
0: and I think analytics don't appreciate—I hate to say—guys who don't st- show up in the stat sheet, but guys who don't obviously show up in the stat sheet. I guess is the better way to say it. Like, and also, like, you need guys to play roles. Like, I think the stay-at-home defenseman in hockey has been completely underrated in the modern era. They're like, you don't—you know—the best offense, you know, the best defense is a good offense. Well, yeah, but you still have to play defense occasionally. You know, even the best offensive team is going to be playing defense forty percent of the time. So you better have a guy who's good just in his own end. Like, but that doesn't show up in the stat sheet as much. And I think that player gets underrated. Um, but at the same time, and the other thing, I have, problem I have with the just the analyst crowd in general is this uh, complete belief in the in their own rightness. <laughs> Like, I, I don't, there's like, if you criticize any of their method, like, I don't like war as a stat. I think it's conceptually wrong. Then it's like, well, do you not like numbers? Are you some idiot who can't add? You're like, no, I just, here's my problem with it. I, I think they don't take any kind of, they're so used to being in the bunker, you know, fighting old school guys that they can't take any, any little bit of criticism is like aposty. and they, you know, you need to be driven out. And, I have a very high bullshit detector and my thing is this. If everybody is saying one thing, people are stupid and it's probably wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and also, I don't think there's just one way to win. So I think if everybody's committing to this one kind of strategy, it's a pretty good idea to look at an alternate strategy to say,
1: hey, what if I did this differently than them? Yeah, it's like the, uh, We've seen the slight move back to sort of power football in college football. Yeah. Getting away from all the spread everything out into like bunch it in tight and just, you know, Harbaugh is doing that and Miles was doing it to an extent. We can argue about how successful he was, but. Stanford, David Shaw does a lot of it. Like, and also like, look, the
0: spread offense, you can move the football, you can score lots of points, but you also have the problem. You don't run much clock. You know, you keep the defense – you keep your own defense on the field a lot. Yeah. Yeah, And also like – and this is a thing that I've really come around on just recently because I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. And we've been guilty of this. So that's how come I've been thinking about it where we've talked a lot about um, total offenses. You know, like people will bring up total offense and like, well, that doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, your average yard per play. Like we've been both – and Billy as well We've been real big on average You know, yards per play Is the, the true measure of an offense Well, LSU's had a great yards per play Pretty much the entire Miles era And I can't make a good faith argument That we've had a good offense So clearly There's a Well, I'm not going to say Yards per play doesn't matter I don't think it matters As much as we say it does And I think total offense matters more Than we've been willing to set, admit Does that make sense? That makes total
1: sense. I mean, I I think the it plays into how we routinely rank exceptionally well in Bill Connolly's rankings, but we haven't fielded a dominant team in a while. Yeah, like, I, and like, here is my problem with like analytic metrics. Once you
0: start putting interpretation into the stats, it's basically you're you're building your your stats are somebody else's assumptions. And look, Bill Connolly's a really smart guy. And he studies a lot of football. So I'm not saying his assumptions are totally wrong, but they're not 100% right either. Look, if he's 60% right, he's doing better than almost anybody. For sure. I mean, it's hard to be right 60% of the time. And so I think some of the assumptions he bakes in to his final numbers I take it with a grain of salt. I much rather have raw numbers. Raw numbers to me are still the most important. Like I want to see, you know, the box score. And that becomes harder when I'm comparing team against team, you know, you have 120, you can't look at play-by-play data for 120 teams. I get it. So that's when you need Bill Connolly to come in there and say, let's just sort through the whole mess of data. But if I'm only dealing with one team, if I'm only looking at LSU, I think we can dig a little deeper than just his advanced numbers.
1: Yeah, we There's, have to. They're a starting point, not a finish not a finish line. I think it's also what's led us you know, the people that do keep up a lot with what Bill does, looking at it and saying, I don't get it. Like, you know, if we're if we're supposed to be this good, why are we why do we lose to Florida yeah right like Florida wasn't any good last year no they weren't I don't know where they ranked on Bill's rankings but I can't imagine they were like super high and look and also like in that game
0: LSU was inside the red zone I think five times and came away with three points uh uh that was the difference in the game like the reason we lost to Florida is because red zone efficiency just killed us um was red efficiency the problem with LSU last year? No, it was just a problem in the Florida game. Yeah. And I, I think that's another thing. It's like you, you want to make the solution, the, what the problem was, and like you want to make it apply to the entire season. But a close football game is kind of random. So the thing that costs you in one game might not cost you in another. It's It might not be a systemic problem. Something, you know. This is where analytics crowds are, are right that they've been much more willing to say this. Sometimes you, you're just unlucky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There is some truth to that. Like sometimes you know, and that's one of the things I, I was looking at last year, and I'll do it again. So I don't think red zone efficiency is consistent. I think it it jumps all over the place. So I don't think team. Clearly, teams were good in the red zone or bad in the red zone because it happened. But at the same time, it's, it's hard to project that the teams that were good in the red zone this year will be the teams that are good next year.
1: Yeah, it's not like a defining trait. of Right. Winning, like it,
0: it, it's just a very volatile stat. And yet, it's one of the stats that matters most towards winning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you score points to win. I mean, that's essentially Poser's law right there. A team that you know has the advantage in the run of play that does not convert it into points has let that advantage dissipate. That's pretty much, red, you know, red zone is important. <laughs> you know, that's like, show me a team with high red zone efficiency, I'll show you a bunch of good teams. <laughs> like, <laughs> but that's how teams outperform their numbers you know and also i think another thing that would i think i really like about bill's numbers after i you know bash some of his numbers he he does great work and you should totally read his site something that i really like out of him is the explosiveness i think the more football i watch and the more i pay attention to numbers the more i care about explosive plays
1: yeah they tend to be the ones that i mean we talked about matthew earlier and that was a big part of why he was such a difference maker is- he would have three or four of these explosive game-changing plays. Yeah, like and it wasn't just like a timely interception. It was like an interception returned 30 yards to put us in the in the red zone, you know? Yeah, like i it's sort of like in baseball,
0: the team that scores in the most amount of innings doesn't win as often as the team that scores that has the biggest inning in the game. Does that make sense? Like that's why crooked numbers matter so much, you know? Like yeah it's it's being able to bunch everything together and have that one big inning. Same thing with football. Like, it's not the total number of yards. It's not how efficient you are. It's not your average yards per play. It's not holding the football. At the end of the day, I mean, that stuff all matters. But what matters the most is, like, huge game-changing, like, huge chunks of yardage, like, huge turnovers. Those are the plays that, you know, make a difference in who's going to win and who's going to lose. Uh, I think explosiveness... Of his five factors, uh, I I think
1: explosiveness is the most important. And I think the biggest point to take away from all of this is that ultimately no one is the law or God or whatever you want to term it. And that you should question and just because he's using numbers to argue doesn't make it – it's not science. It's still guessing, you know. So I agree with that. Yeah, it, it's a very holistic look at it.
0: Like, yeah, because like even though I say I really like numbers and you're more of a Italian evaluator, that doesn't mean I don't look at talent. Like, if I look at a team that has really good numbers and there's no ta- and you know no talent there, eh, I, I I can see where they're coming from. And you're not going to be like, if this guy has a whole bunch of recruiting and like their numbers are just terrible, you're probably not going to be like, oh well, everything's fine. Like, there comes a point where production does matter. Like, we've, it's still a holistic, let's look at everything approach.
1: Yeah. It's like UNC from two years ago. What were they, like 12 and 1 or something like that? And they had the chance to kind of crash the playoff, but everyone pretty much knew they weren't going to, right? Like, we all knew they weren't good enough. Right. And that's, it tends (laughs) to play out that way over the course of a year.
0: Like, frauds get exposed. Yeah. If you're not good enough, your luck runs out. The football gods tend to smite you. <laughs> yeah.
1: <sighs> well, that's fun. Yeah. I, ooh, I, I There should be more holistic discussions. That's all.
0: No, I agree with that. Like, consider everything. How about that? Like, yes. Nobody knows what they're talking about. At the end of the day, like, we're all trying, but nobody has the answer. So... Feel free to call people out on bullshit.
1: Definitely. Just not us, or we'll ban you from the site. Yeah, we'll totally ban you. Because fuck you. I, I am. <laughs> we don't have time for that shit. I am ruler I, I and a hypocrite. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> Which I think we'll do it for this week, because I don't think we're, we didn't put out the question time this week, so we have no. no— I didn't.
1: I'll get back it's in the okay.
0: groove. Yeah, this was a get back in the in the groove of doing this kind of thing.
1: It almost didn't happen because my wife threw a curveball at me, but I was like, "Nope." I said, "I'm recording," and I am recording. Look at that. Good for you. I Put her in her place. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh no, God! Now this this was literally the only day of this week we could do because uh, yesterday I had the the band concert tomorrow i'm seeing into the woods the last of my uh, um, oh your season tickets yeah we, we need to talk about like my all the plays i saw we, we can do that we should and, um you know we can we can do the theater review and then uh tomorrow we're and then on friday we're leaving for the ranch so this was literally the only day this week that i was available well i'm glad it worked out it was long over <laughs> yeah and i have Yeah, I haven't talked to you in forever, and I'm...